It's a wonderful night in Minneapolis, August 2017. I am Frank, and this is the Minnesota Skinny, episode 44. This week, our Drinking Apples series introduces us to not just any Switchel, Superior Switchel. Superior Switchel founder Melina Lamer sat down with me at headquarters and talked about, well, it started as an energy drink she made at home during college and became a multi-state business. We talked about the history of Switchel, its health benefits, her upbringing in Alaska, and navigating the marketplace. Switchel is not a very common drink. I actually had never heard of it until the first time I met Melina, but she gave me a bottle of it during the interview, and yeah, it didn't last very long. Did we talk about cocktails we could make with Switchel and get super drunk? Of course we talked about cocktails we could make with Switchel and get super drunk. What do you think I do this podcast for? I like the bourbon, so a good old... Me too. Yeah. I like the bourbon too. A classic, simple whiskey ginger with a spritz of lemon. Super good. Okay. That's my go-to. I have a website, minnesotaskinny.com. You can find the Minnesota Skinny podcast on iTunes. Just subscribe there for now. The platform realignment is underway, and I'm actually going to be taking a break for a couple of weeks from the podcast and from the website. The house hunt is getting real. Got some big projects at my day job I want to focus on, and I'm going to make some changes to how the Minnesota Skinny operates. Bigger, better. Got to keep growing. Got to keep moving forward. Got to stay one step ahead. That's where the challenge is. That's where the fun is. Besides, it's football season again. We got to get the football covered. My Dolphins are starting Jay Cutler at quarterback this year. I don't know if I want to talk about football this season. And you know everyone I draft in my fantasy league is just going to get injured again. I should blackmail players, what I should do. Threaten to draft them onto my fantasy team if they don't give me X amount of dollars. Seriously, if I draft a player, that's basically the same thing as sending someone to go bust their kneecap. Anyway, you can find the Minnesota Skinny on any relevant social media outlet. Just search for the handle at MNSkinny. Before we get to Molina, I have a very special friend I've been dying for you all to meet. I'm in Minneapolis at Tulaby inside the lovely Hewing Hotel. This week, Tulaby's beverage queen, award-winning, world-renowned Trish Gavin is joining me finally. Finally. All those times you've been too busy behind so the bar. So busy. I try to interview you while you're working. It never works out, probably because you're working. I gave her a mission. Make a cocktail to be your grand introduction. So what do you got? I made a martini, basically. Um, it's, it's my favorite cocktail. I order it. It's my standing order at Marvel and all my neighbors' places. So um, I took it a little weirdly, though. I did um, one and a half parts of Blanco tequila with a half part of mezcal, um, three-quarter ounce of Coqui Americano in lieu of vermouth, and then a quarter ounce of Liquor 43, Spanish vanilla liqueur, with orange bitters and Corazon bitters from Bitter Cube. So you say martinis are your standing drink? They are. How many can you drink before you're not standing anymore? You don't want to know. <laughs> Probably entirely too many. Tell me about your first one. God, I don't even remember. I, I feel like my uncle made it for me when I was underage. Yeah. <laughs> um, there wasn't really an aha moment for me in martinis. Like, my uncle who trained me had a very storied bar history. He had worked at the American Bar at the Savoy in London. and really? um, Yeah, so he knew what he was doing. We had kind of a divey Irish pub that specialized in whiskey, so it wasn't really the venue for it, but he always had stuff around to like make drinks and cocktails, That, and he knew how to do it right, so... I've had many really bad ones. I remember those. <laughs> Tell me about one of those. What makes a bad martini? Uh, my least favorite one that I've ever had, I was at an establishment 
fairly nearby, and um, I asked for a Plymouth Martini, two to one with orange bitters stirred. The gentleman took Plymouth and opened the bottle and just dumped it into a tin. I was like, oh, he's putting it in a tin. That's cool. Whatever. Um, didn't add any vermouth in, and then he, instead of not telling me that he, like, not telling me that he didn't have orange bitters, he just took a bunch of peychauds and did, like, six dashes in it, shook it, poured half of it out, and then set the tin in front of me to let the rest of it die in front of me, <laughs> slowly, on bad ice. Um, so, and that was, that was pretty gross. Like, I, I, I'm all about pink gins, but not that way. Well, the way you just described it, it sounds like what Cersei Lannister would do to somebody to kill him in Game of Thrones. So to go back to your uncle, is he the one that got you into uh, into making cocktails to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. I would um, go and help out under the table, of course. It was completely illegal. I started barbacking for him when I was 13 for a couple months in the summer just for cash. And then one day when I was 16, I was down there barbacking, and this was in Chicago, and somebody didn't show up and he just put a jigger in my hand and told me I'd watched him do it enough times that I ought to figure it out and here's a recipe book if I need it. Did so. you figure it out? Was it that, that easy? Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't... Like, you don't have the repertoire of drinks or the muscle memory, you know, right away. But I already knew where everything was. I'd already been doing inventory for him and bar backing for a long enough time that it... It was a pretty easy transition compared to some of the people that I've had to train from the ground up. Yeah. You said that was in Chicago. Are you from Chicago? Yeah, like half. Like I half grew up Chicago? like half in Chicago and half in International Falls. So okay, it was kind of culture shocky. Different worlds. Yeah. How often were you at each? Um, it wasn't really like huge blocks of time, but my mom was ill and her family's from Chicago. So when she was ill and I could afford to be away from school, I would just go down and stay with the family there. Away from school? So you, are you a Bronco? Um, I mean, I attended Falls High School, but I didn't really go to any of the games. I just so, didn't, I, I wasn't really the epitome of school spirit. I, I like had, I, <laughs> I'm the reason that Pet Fest got banned from there, so. Really? <laughs> I think they're allowed to have them on site now, but we had to not have them on site for a few years. Uh Uh-oh, what'd you do? I think it was something involving marijuana. (laughs) And a certain group of friends that I was with. (laughs) Not saying I was involved with it, but yeah. So what brought you to the Twin Cities? Um, You know, it's pretty equidistant between the Chicago and International Falls, and also far enough away from both that my family can't pop in and just surprise me. (laughs) So that's, that's, that's a really good reason. I also kind of like the size of it. When I was living in Chicago, it was too big and too expensive and too rude. And um, International Falls, is, there's nothing for me there. So, Just marijuana and pep rallies. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yep. That's, uh, that's how I cope with visiting home. Uh, a couple of buddies and I went to Chicago for my bachelor party weekend. First thing that happens to us, we park the car, we're like walking towards somewhere. We got a guy approaching us in a tunnel. He's like, cocaine and acid. I got cocaine and acid. And we're like, no you, thanks, not that kind of weekend. <laughs> you had to have been on Lower Wacker Drive, right? Uh, we, were on, we were on the Miracle Mile. Yeah. And we were about to go under, we were walking under a bridge. That's Lower happened. Wacker Drive. Is it? Yes, I know who that guy is. I still visit Chicago. <laughs> No way. No, I'm dead serious. You can pull it up on your maps. I promise you that's Lower Wacker Drive. That's where that guy, like, hangs out. How often do you go back? I don't know. Three times a year, probably. Okay. 
usually once for a competition of some sort, like this year I was in Chicago for Bombay Sapphire, and then two times like to see family. Well, I mean, family's Irish Catholic, so it's usually for a funeral, but, um, you know, either that or just to visit friends and get caught up on what their bar scene's doing and, you know, do R&D. Yeah. What is their bar scene doing? Man, they're all about the tiki right now. The tiki? Yeah, tiki's, tiki school. Um, between, like, Three Dots and Dash and Lost Lake and Broken Shaker, like, those are probably, those are, like, what seems to be what most of the buzz down there is about at the moment. Uh, I'm allergic to rum, so uh, I have a great time going to those places. You're allergic um, to rum? Oh, yeah. That sucks. It really sucks. <laughs> like, I would love to just hunker down on a big glass of funky agricole, and I just can't. Um... And it's like a histamine reaction, so it's I have to medicate myself if I accidentally have some. Anyway, like lots, like Tiki's pretty big in Chicago right now, and I don't know. There's just so many good little like small spots. I usually stop into Violet Hour and say hi. They're like family to us. Cause Bitter Cube, you know, Iris started his career at Violet Hour, so that's kind of our like my bar base when I go there and I'm a huge whiskey nerd so Longman and Eagle I always love that place so. so to go back to the bar when you were 16 was was it around that time you decided that, that this was going to be like your career? <laughs> no <laughs> no not at all I mean like when you're a 16 year old from International Falls running like a bar by yourself like bartending a bar by yourself on the south side of Chicago it's pretty scary um, but I bartended I got that skill you know through the next several years. Bartended my way from my through my first couple of bachelor's degrees, went back to school for medicine because I still wasn't dead set on that bartending was going to be my career. And I didn't really, like, I didn't get into I was going for veterinary medicine, and it's such a competitive entrance for school that uh, when I didn't get into my program, I just gave up. Went back to school to do some microbiology, did some microbiology, and then my program got canceled. And at that point, I was like... You know what? You know what hasn't let me down? Bartending. I was just going to say, it's almost like it was sending you a sign. Yeah, and then I was just in all about dedicating myself to know as much as I can about spirits, uh, you know, making sure that I knew every great bridal in, in cognac, and then uh, studying for my sommelier exams. So that's how, that's how I, am, I am here today with a table full of metal straws. <laughs> Where was the first place you you went to after after your uncle's spot? So I went to school in Moorhead, at Moorhead State, and got a job at uh, Doolittle's in Fargo. Worked through that, through the end of college, moved down here, and got my first job at Five Restaurant and Street Lounge, run by Stuart Woodman in 2005. Five? I've never even heard of that. Oh, really? It was on 29th and Bryant. Okay. Uh, it was... Like, it was really, really elevated dining. Like, it would have made it if it had been in Manhattan. But, oh, okay. I mean, at that point in time, Bryant Lake Bowl still had a parking lot. And the condos that are around that area weren't there. And there wasn't a population base. Also, it was on 29th and Bryant and not Lake and Bryant. So, like, that confused people. And people were having a hard time finding it and this and that. So, uh, really, really amazing food. Like, I had a... a you know, a bar program, like a 2005 bar program. I had a good bar program for 2005 at this point in my career. I'd be like, oh, what's that? But um, 
Yeah, it was good. Compare the bar program of 2005 until to what you got now. Oh my god. In 2005, I put a sidecar on the menu, and everybody was like, what's that? <laughs> so, like, I, I don't think that, like, the public, the knowledge has grown so much of classic cocktails and spirits in general. Um, like, in 2005, you didn't put egg whites in drinks. And now it's just, you know, part of the repertoire, which is awesome. Like, I'm so proud that, like, the like cocktail culture has been embraced so much that people are ordering things with egg whites in it or flips with a whole egg or all these kind of concoctions that you know 12 13 years ago would have been unthinkable and like a Cosmo was on cutting edge and that kind of thing so, so where'd you go after five? Oh goodness um everywhere I was working at five they closed I went to Asia that was kind of more you know, fruit forward, but still craft cocktails, but fruit forward. Like, we used aloe in cocktails a lot, and lychee fruit, and just kind of things with an Asian twist to go with the food. And I was there for a little over a summer, and then I got a job at the Guthrie, where I was working at Q, and then open Sea Change. Tell me about your first night at Tullaby. Man, we had a pre-opening party, and there were people dressed up like like deers walking around it looked like uh, did you watch the Amer- the Roanoke season of American Horror Story at all? No. Okay there's this like very tall creepy gothic deer thing in it and I swear to god there were a few of those walking around in our lobby and it was just insane there were so many people in here there were probably four or five hundred people in here like just in this lobby did they reach out to you to lead this bar, or did you apply? I applied. Okay. Um, took the summer and went pretty low-key last year, and was trying to figure out like a spot that would be good for me where I could also grow. Plus, I had a streak of restaurants closing. I worked at five closed, whatever, and then um, fast-forward a few years, I was at Heidi's, which closed, and then I went to Brasserie Central that closed, and then I bounced from Brasserie Central to Il Foro, that closed. Uh, and then I was just like, I need to be somewhere where, A, we have like some stability and structure, which I, obviously a hotel's not going to go out of business overnight. You're not going to walk up to your doors of your restaurant and find it locked. And then B, where I could move upward like in my career and work a little more on like the buying end and the operations and that kind of thing. Were you ever in that situation where you walked up to the door and it was just locked? Uh... Yes. <laughs> I, I, I won't say where it was, but it was a little strange. And just kind of like, what, what the do hell? I do? How do I get a check? Are there unique challenges, advantages, disadvantages with the bar being in a hotel? There's a, yeah, there's a lot of weird things about it, I guess. You know, hotels do a lot of events. You know, we have two wedding blocks staying with us right now, and they tend to migrate in packs because everyone knows everybody because they're all going to a wedding together. And so we'll have, you know, 60 people show up at the bar at last call, like last night. And, um, (laughs) you know, you go, like, especially with hotels, and especially the hotel where this main bar isn't, like, 
a normal hotel lobby bar, but it, we have this entire lobby full of people where you can go from zero to breakneck, like, busy in no time at all. And I've never worked at a place like that. I mean, most of the places that I've worked have been smaller and they max out at like a hundred people in the restaurant and you know I've never had never quite had to grapple with the volume that we're doing at this place so it's been a big learning experience trying to figure out how to run a very like consistent and concise like craft program but for a volume that rivals nightclub sales how do you handle it at last call when you get those 60 people come in you just decide when the last drink you're pouring is (laughs) And then you say, I'm sorry, like, I did last call. And like, well, we just got here. And then you have to be like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you just got here after I did last call, but it's it been done. Last call. Right? Yeah, last calls are, you, you just, you get busy. You get busy fast and you make everything happen and then call it, turn the lights up and count your tail. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the metal straws. What's up with the metal straws? Last night was my first night of um, going straw-free. So, like, if you come in here and you order a, a gin and tonic, you'll get a gin and tonic with ice in a glass and a lime and no straw. Um, the straws will be available on request. So the metal straws are actually going to be our functioning tasting straws so that we don't have to use plastic straws that we taste and then discard. Since I um, just started a program of completely, like, trying to really minimize our waste um, and our environmental impact. So we're saving citrus cores and making stocks out of that for the kitchen um, after we juice, which we juice the fruit that we use to garnish. Um, So the fruit end of it's pretty taken care of. Um, I'm getting some cellulose straws um, from my friend to start and those will be biodegradable those will be what you get upon request after I run out of plastic straws and then um, we're doing a composting thing with our coffee grounds and eggshells from all the sours that people order and um, recycling of course and this transition and and what it'll be like moving forward is that will that be an increase in cost or will that will that save you guys money in the future it'll be a decrease Straws, they're not, you know, no one really thinks about them, and they're not free, so having to order a lot less will be nice. Um, getting rid of some our napkins would be great, too. Yeah. And even if it did cost more, I'd still do it anyway. It's worth it. It's worth trying to have all your corners tight. How long do these last? In theory, until someone loses them. <laughs> so about a week. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but yeah, they should last for, I don't know, I could still have my same tasting straw in 20 years if I'm responsible. Yeah. They're just stainless steel, so we won't have any rust or any factors like that. Yeah, pretty cool. I'm really, really excited about the... Um, like downscaling on our environmental impact. So it was a huge thing at Tales of the Cocktail this year. Um, a few seminars and things about that minimizing waste and um, lightening your footprint. So I think you'll see a lot of bars doing it too. I know um, Josh is going over to Eat Street Social with some metal straws, so they're going to be doing that. And I'm certain that several others will follow along with it too. 
Just wherever he brings them. Yeah. He's like the metal straw Don now. It's like the Pied Piper of <laughs> metal straws. Um, no, I don't know. I, I specifically asked him to get them for us. So I think other bars are just kind of now following suit. Yeah. All right, Trish, that was about all I had. Hit him with any websites, social media, anything else you want to toss up before we wrap up? Ooh. Well, uh, I'm on Instagram. I don't remember my name. Um, <laughs> so I'm really good at social media. Trish M. Gavin on Instagram. You can follow me on that if you want. I usually, there's either pictures of my dog or cocktails. So um, there's that. And just check out um, on Facebook, check out the Hewing Hotel, check out the website um, that stays pretty updated with whatever we're doing seasonally for cocktails and wine and so forth. Okay, now we're going to get into my interview with Melina at Superior Switchell. During that interview, I drank a pint of beer, like three glasses of water, and a whole bottle of that Switchell. So she did most of the talking, which means I did my job right. Hey, What have the Wild been doing this offseason? Oh, God, don't ask me that. I already, I just asked you that. <laughs> and then you covered your hands so the mic didn't, probably didn't even hear you. So now I have to ask you again, what have the Wild done this offseason to make the team better? Oh, gosh. I literally don't know. Um, I am the worst when it comes to pro sports. So pro sports are not my game. I'm more of, like, the See, college like hockey. Gophers. Like yeah. Gophers? Yeah. Are the Gophers your team or a different different The Gophers, team? for sure. Okay. What have they for done sure. in the offseason to improve their hockey team? You could, you could tell me anything right now, and I wouldn't know what you were talking about, so go ahead and make stuff up. <laughs> well... I really don't. I mean, I don't. I, I can they have seven players some... on the ice on home games? No. Like, you can they have two goalies? You literally like, don't know anything about hockey. No, I, I do know things about hockey. I don't know what the Gophers did this offseason, is all I'm saying. I mean, I literally don't know either, apart from the fact that their off, offseason training is obviously weight training, sprints, and puck handling, stick handling drills. That's all I know. I don't follow them in the offseason, but. I'm nevertheless obsessed with hockey. Like, yeah. I played college hockey at St. Olaf, so D3. Okay. So for me, that's the sport that everyone should care about. How long have you been playing? Since I was three. Since you were three? Yeah. How do you even play hockey when you're three? Are you even playing hockey, or are you just, like, holding a stick and just, like, <laughs> fall flopping all over the ice? That, yeah. That's what I would be doing even today. Yeah. Like, as a 36-year-old, I would just... I would be falling all over the place and probably breaking myself. Yeah, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't really, uh, I don't even know that I was holding a stick necessarily. I was trying to learn how to put my skates on <laughs> and mostly having my dad do it. Hockey? <laughs> yeah, hockey. Yep. But yeah, I grew up in Alaska, so that's the only place, or that's the only sport we really had, was hockey. No kid in Alaska. What part of Alaska? Uh, Denali National Park area. Okay. So it's main. It's inland, more towards part of Healy. It's the uh, it's the town. That's where I grew up. Okay. That's the town that houses all of the the workers for Denali National Park. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, so how'd you end up down in Minnesota? College. College. Okay. Yeah, I ended up moving here for college back in um, 2009 and stuck. Just loved it. Just didn't leave. Yeah, it's it's the right spot, you know. It's close enough to Alaska in the sense that it's cold as hell, um, but you know it's close enough to my family who now lives in Wisconsin. So, yeah. and you forgive them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a cheesehead at heart. So you yep. are. Yep. Uh, yeah. 
but you were up in Alaska back when, um, like, the Travel Channel and the Discovery Channel and everybody, like, all of the the, the reality TV shows Greatest were all like, Alaska, State, Alaska Troopers. State Troopers, Alaska People, <laughs> Alaska Squirrels, Alaska Barns, yep. Alaska... Everything. <laughs> did, did that affect you, like, at a community level, or was that all happening someplace else? That was, like, behind the scenes for us. Like, we never really... Yeah, we never noticed it, actually. Okay. And I'm sure a lot of it was in Anchorage, even, and, you know, Anchorage is the big city there, so... It's kind of where everybody flocked to, including the news and TV stations. How big is Anchorage? That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. I'm really bad with populations. Do, do you have a Do you have a comparison? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, Anchorage is kind of like our. Oh gosh. I'd say it's like Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. So so that's not bad. Size. Big enough. Yeah. But not huge. That's a worthy, a worthy largest city in a state. <laughs> kind of, yeah. The rest of them are just little, little blips. So, yeah. In the in the larger scheme, it's huge. Yeah. You know, in the larger scheme of Alaska, Anchorage is huge. But so you come down here, two thousand nine, play some hockey. How did how did you find Switchell? Like, what is Switchell? First off, Switchell is a ginger apple cider vinegar elixir. So, elixir. Yeah, it's a fancy term, commonly known as a magical drink. But for I was going to say I would take elixirs uh, when I was playing World of Warcraft back yeah. like ten years ago. <laughs> yep. Like I would be so powerful when I took an elixir. Oh, my Boom. shadow bolts were killing left and right. <laughs> it was crazy. Well, but, there you go. That's yeah. So a switchel is kind of you know everybody kind of debated like what what category does it fit into? Does it fit into a shrub? Does it fit into kombucha? Is it um, a tonic. What is it? And I don't think that the market has truly defined that yet, but I've kind of coined the term elixir for it because it just seems the most applicable. You know, it's not a tonic. It's not like a tonic water. It's definitely not a kombucha. It's uh, it's not fermented. It's, uh, we only ferment the apple cider to make that vinegar, right? So we ferment the one ingredient versus the entirety of the drink which really is what separates us from a kombucha. Plus we're not all about we're not about the probiotics. We're about the electrolytes. So that's kind of tying into, you know, the my background with hockey and how um, it was a natural sports drink for me. So you could drink this before a game sort of almost like a Gatorade but yep. but not neon blue and exactly tasting like sugar water yeah no high fructose corn syrup no food coloring okay all natural yeah does does switch have a history like how far back does it go um so that's the other thing that's highly debated but as far as i can tell uh it originated in the caribbean and back in the 19th century so the 1700s uh it hit colonial farmers so colonial america and the farmers were hay farmers specifically, so you know, being out there in the dust, um, baling hay, really gets in your sinuses. And switchel was something that could kind of refresh, replenish, and rehydrate. Um, kind of clear your sinuses out, gives you a little spice boost with that ginger. Um, kind of warm the stomach a little bit, like booze or a moonshine. Okay, I but, like where you're going with this. Yeah, but without the booze or moonshine. Yeah, so they could keep working. So how did you hear about it? So, kind of a multitude of areas. Um, I really just started to make 
ginger teas in college, uh, and that was like my natural Gatorade because I knew ginger was an anti-inflammatory. Uh, and then it wasn't until years later that um, my great my grandma, who actually just passed away, she mentioned apple cider vinegar and its health benefits and suggested I mix the two, the ginger and the apple cider vinegar. So I started to do that, um, you know, and not without rebuttal at first. Uh, I was not a huge fan of apple cider vinegar. It took some time and I, I truly did it for its health benefits. Um, but then, yeah, you know, it, it, I started catching on, loving it. Uh, family started to drink it and love it. And um, I hadn't considered selling it until I came across an article with the word switchel in it. And I was like, holy cow, that's, that's literally what I'm making. I'm going to add some honey to this, and this is called switchel. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was making something that I didn't actually know existed or had any historic relevance. And um, I only decided to start selling it because I thought, hey, this could be a great way to really, you know, really incorporate... A wonderful drink in our community and then use it as a means to give back to the community. When, when did you decide to like really make a go of it as a profession? Well I guess I could technically say only this year since I just quit my part-time job last week but okay. in general um, 2014 was when I was like all right you know this is gonna be this is me what I'm gonna do. Take, take me into that decision and into the room when you made it like yeah, uh, it was, I mean, you've got to know me, when I when I start something, I it snowballs quickly. I don't give up easily, and um, I'm, I'm a bit of a go-getter, so yeah, I, I just decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start selling my switchel, and, you know, my girlfriend at the time, you know, she's just like, Molina, do you know what that entails? Do you know what you're going to have to do? Yeah, 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 I'm going to have to create a business plan, and I'm going to have to you know, um, get art- articles of organization and, you know, all the legality aspects of it and a trademark. And so I started doing all that and I just fell deeper into the rabbit hole. Like, I loved it. I loved all the side tasks. I loved the diversity of it. You know, dealing with marketing one day and then dealing with sales the next, you know, the next day and social media. It was just, it was just a lot of fun. So was there anything that just took you by surprise? That you just Everything. absolutely did not see coming. The biggest, the biggest thing that took me by surprise was just how how difficult it has been to really integrate the market, like to really get this product rolling in the Midwest. You know, I, I know that in general the Midwest, you know, takes to things a little bit slower than the, the coasts. But I thought for sure, you know, Switzer would be big last year and it's still I would have guessed that too I would have guessed the drink like Switchel Midwest would have grown to it quicker than perhaps on the coasts yeah but you know I think it's just one of those things it took a while for kombucha to catch on you know and they've been really working on it now for quite some time and now it's huge everywhere so although Switchel's big on the coasts especially the east coast I think it's still trickling its way you know to Minnesota Idaho etc but we're hopeful. We're hopeful it'll keep expanding. Can I ask roughly how much money you needed to to launch this business? Yeah. So actually, uh, I I really uh, grassroots um, from the very beginning. Uh, bootstrapped it. I started with twelve thousand out of my my savings, and for me at uh, twenty six, you know, that was kind of my 
my little my little pocket. It was my nugget. That's and like that's like eleven thousand five hundred dollars <laughs> more than I had, and I probably didn't even have I probably didn't even have that much. I probably had like ten bucks when I was twenty six. <laughs> so you're doing way better than I was. Well, <laughs> I saved. <laughs> They saved, and you know, it it didn't feel like a lot. And now that we're really looking at expanding, it it really doesn't look like a lot in the grand scheme. But yeah, that twelve thousand I put I put right to our first farmers market booth and equipment and getting a kitchen and liability insurance, all the necessary first steps to start in the business. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Like, how much business? How much business background did you have prior to this, or did you have to like, kind of learn all this and find out all this on your own? Yeah, I, I definitely had to figure this out all on my own. Um, and, and I guess I shouldn't really say that, you know. I've had a ton of mentors that have been super helpful, um, including family members. You know, everyone's really been there to support me and, and help me through it. But I definitely had to learn it all because uh, my major, I just have a bachelor's from St. Olaf College, and environmental studies so I, I you know specifically studied food justice um, sustainable farming practices things of that nature um, so you know my background is mostly organic farming and teaching kids how to canoe and backpack you know I, I don't really have the um, the business skill set that would be you know optimal for a production like this but I've definitely acquired that knowledge through these years did you think to try the Kickstarter thing, or did that not really? Yeah, yeah, we we actually did that. So um, maybe you know, like the first, so like in January of 2015, starting up, and uh, we threw a Kickstarter together real quick, and which I wouldn't advise. Um, you know, looking back, I wish we would have really put some time into it. A Kickstarter is really a full time job. It's um, it's a lot of marketing and and you know pushing that kickstarter campaign to to your whole social campaign um and i didn't do that but you know we only we were only asking for a grand and we we met that and again um so that grand plus my 12 grand put together is is what funded the the beginning of the company yeah i haven't i haven't really heard about many kickstarters lately Do, do you know if that's even still a thing or if that's kind of gone away yeah uh funny you mentioned that actually because uh the online platform that we sell our switch on is called garage grown gear okay. and they actually just launched i believe maybe two days ago they just launched their first kickstarter um you know and i think it is actually still a really big thing as is the indiegogo the gofundme um but you know we might we might be launching our own kickstarter again here in the future okay it's a good way. It's a good way to really connect with your consumers. So who taught you how to drink? <laughs> drink Switchel or drink in general? Drink in general. <laughs> My mama. <laughs> yeah? No, I, um, you know, again, Switchel is really sort of just a, an oddball of creation for me, you know, with the ginger tea and then within, you know, my grandma telling me about apple cider vinegar, but drinking in general, shoot, my whole, my whole dad's side of the family... They're really good at cocktail creation. It's yeah. a part of our culture for sure. So um, I've definitely utilized Switchel in cocktails, and I figured out how to how to make a tasty one for sure. Did you kind of get started uh, with with your dad's side with with your Switchel? Did you bring it to them and see Absolutely. what they could do? Absolutely, yeah. My aunt, um, Aunt Shelley, she's 
she's the cocktail queen, you know. Um, she's always got the recipes flowing. Uh, if we've got a party or a family gathering, I'll bring the switchel out, she'll bring the booze out, and we've got a party. All right. Uh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Tell me one of her cocktails. Uh, so, again, probably a lot of people ask this, and I'd say the top four mixers for the switchel are going to be gin, bourbon, tequila, or vodka. But historically speaking, I know it was huge to be mixed with rum. So, you know, you can take it on any avenue, but for, for my family, gin and tonic or Moscow meal, Moscow meals are, are huge for us. And living in Alaska, actually, I remember, you know, my, my parents would drink Moscow meals every weekend. So I never got to partake until now, but yeah, it's a, it's a big thing for us. So what's your go-to cocktail down here with Switchel? Hmm. I like the bourbon, so a good old... Me too. Yeah. I like the bourbon, too. A classic, simple whiskey ginger with a spritz of lemon. Super good. Okay. That's my go-to. We go with non-alcoholic cocktails. Yeah, we actually, yeah, on our website we've got a couple mocktail creations as well. Um, It makes a fabulous spritzer, so whether you want to, you can, you pick your potion, but uh, I just like a plain LaCroix, you know, a plain sparkling water. And mix it with our lavender lemon. It's, it's pretty tart and tangy. I think that's what you gave me. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's got a good uh, a good bite to it. But it's also got a little bit of a, a lavender essence to it, especially in the smell. You're right. You're definitely right about that. Yeah. <laughs> mix that with a little vodka and a little sparkling water. Throw it on top of a... I wonder if they'll let me do that. Or if I just, like, hey, could you give me, like... Some ice? Could you give me, like, half a jar of vodka (laughs) and a couple cubes of ice? I'll drink half of this quick. Yeah. And we'll... (laughs) So, yeah, you know, in the beginning, we kind of created a whole list of cocktail creations and mocktail creations. We we partnered with a couple companies, and they helped, uh, helped us sort it out. Uh, latest, actually, latest uh, adventure has been working with the Cannon Falls Winery to create wine spritzers. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that's going to be hopefully a, a cool partnership that we can see see the end to. But yeah, it's 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 great to be mixed with anything from wine, water, booze, um, sorry, sparkling water. Um, yeah, you name it. It's been beer, even beer is pretty big, especially like a tart cherry beer. You mix that with our cinnamon apple version. Super good. Tell me about a drink you tried to make with this that didn't work. Well, <laughs> uh, my my girlfriend, she uh, she works at a local coffee shop here, and um, we've tried to mix it with, with coffee, cold-pressed coffee, and I've heard some success stories, but I myself am not particularly a fan. Still trying to work out the kinks on that. Uh, the coffee switchel combo. I think, you know, the ginger is great with it, but that apple cider vinegar kind of throws a little a little uh, dagger in there. It kind of makes it a little bit tricky to mix. But yeah. that's the fun part, too, is, you know, it's not only healthy, but once you mix it, you've got a whole new libation. I mean, there's so many routes that you can take it. And, you know, another, for example, you can heat switch a lot, like a hot tea. So that's pretty okay. big, um, especially in the winter make like a hot toddy if you want that booze in there otherwise yeah just throw it in a mug put it in the microwave or put it in the kettle and heat it up and drink it like tea oh okay so 
TikTok Marketplace, how and where do you sell this primarily? Right now, I would say our bread and butter is all the co-ops. Okay. Uh, you know, Lakewinds, Kowalski's, um, you know, sewer co-op, the wedge. But in the future, we're looking uh, to really bring in more high-class C-stores, so convenience stores, like, like a gas station. But, um, you know, once we, we spread, hopefully, across the nation, you know, primarily we're thinking the West Coast, a lot of those upper-class C-stores can be found there. And you can find, you know, you, you'd be hard-pressed to walk into a gas station and not find kombucha and, you know, not find maple water or, you know, electrolyte water that's, that's made of natural ingredients. So... We're hoping to hit up uh, some of those upscale C-stores, definitely more grocers, and um, always my, my favorite is the local cafes, coffee shops, and restaurants. To go back to the convenience stores, do you worry that, that this will end up on a shelf next to like the, the two freezers full of energy drinks, <laughs> and it'll just get kind of glazed over with those by people? Yeah, I mean, we definitely have to be very specific in in our marketing and, you know, where do we want to be placed? And it's definitely not next to the Gatorades or, um, you know, we, 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 we're definitely a natural market. And so that's why you won't find us in Cub Foods. Um, and that's, that's not a hit on Cub Foods. It's just that, you know, we have to be very specific in the beginning, at least, with where we're being placed. Yeah. Um, so... We definitely support those co-ops. It's, you'd be hard-pressed to find, you know, a, an unnatural product in there, and I and I really appreciate them for supporting the local culture. So when you're selling this person-to-person, do you, do you find that a lot of your sales pitch ends up being just explaining what Switchel is? Absolutely. Yeah, that's been... That kind of ties into the, the difficulty we've had in spreading it in the Midwest, you know? Um... Everybody, the first question is, is what's Switchel? And then when I tell them it's a ginger apple cider vinegar elixir, I say, would you like to try a sample? And the first thing they say is, yeah, I'll try the ginger one. And I have to say, okay, well, they all have ginger in it. And then they go, okay, well, then I'll try the one with apple cider vinegar in it. And I go, okay, well, they all have apple cider vinegar in it. <laughs> so it's definitely a learning process. Um, you know, kind of reshaping people's opinions and thoughts on drinking vinegars is just the first step. Um, and I know, you know, thankfully, thankfully, uh, shrubs have really kind of regained uh, consciousness as well in, in the same time span that we have. Um, and in all technicalities, switchel is a shrub, you know, it's, it's a variety of a shrub. Um, historically speaking, shrubs are vinegar-based drinks. Uh, the only the only difficulty with that resurfacing at the same time as us is that people view shrubs now as concentrates. A lot of the local shrub purveyors are concentrates, so you wouldn't crack it open and just drink it. Whereas a switchel is made to be drank as is. It's ready to go. You know, we want you to head to your local food store, right in the grab and go cooler, buy the switchel, pop it open, and drink it. Yeah. But you know, that being said, it's definitely a vinegar-based drink, and so we're, you know, we're trying to tailor the Midwest palate to enjoy that crisp tart flavor profile, that little zing and that little um, little pop from the, the ginger. 
So who are your biggest threats in the marketplace right now? Is it other switchels or is it other drinks all together like the, the kombuchas, the shrubs? Yeah, I'd say I'm probably the latter. Uh, the drink market is actually quite saturated. Um, it's a hard, you know, food products in general, it's a hard market to get into. And it, you know, it, it costs a lot of promotion and a lot of dollars for that. But that being said, you know, our, our main competitors, uh, for example, Side Road Switchel out of New Jersey, um, they're nationwide, anywhere from Alaska to Hawaii, and um, some would see that as a deficit, but honestly, they're doing a lot of the hard work for us. They're doing a lot of the, the communicating with locals everywhere in the nation, and, and really pushing the product, and pushing the definition of Switchel, and teaching, and promoting, and that's extremely beneficial for us um, as we obviously don't have as much funding so for us to be new to the marketplace that's been super helpful for us uh, and then again same with shrubs you know they're helping to expand palettes all around us and we're, we're fortunate to have especially in the Minneapolis Twin Cities area we're fortunate to have multiple shrub companies. Yeah, there are like three or four or something. Yeah, yeah. I talked to uh, Scott Dillon of the Twisted Shrub yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah, He said there were like 14 companies nationwide, but three or four of them are in the Twin right Cities. Right here, yep. Yeah, and, and that's probably competitive for him a bit, but again, probably the same thing, you know, really help to really help to promote the product and get the word out. And that's really what we need right now is such a young market. Um, yeah, but you know, there's there's still a lot of a lot of bigger companies out there that I'm more worried about. Like, uh, I can't think of an example right now, but you know, larger companies that could take you know easy pocket change and create a switchel and push it through their push it through their markets, um, and that's highly probable. So that that'd probably be a, a a biggest competitor of ours if that if that happens. Yeah. So what's your end goal for Superior Switchel? World domination, <laughs> just in, in the States? Yeah, um, I'm definitely focused on staying within the nation. Uh, you know, maybe spreading out into Canada. Uh, but right now, you know, we're very small. We're, we're only in 125-plus retailers. And in the next year, we're really looking to expand that. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't say world domination, I just, you know, right now I'm so focused on growing the company and and seeing where it, you know, where it can go, and I find it super exciting. You know, I don't want to give it up for anything. It's my baby, and and I love what I do. Well, Melina, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, before we wrap up here, why don't you hit him with the uh, website, social media, um, any place else people can find more information? Yeah, head to www.superiorswitchell.com. And our, our big hashtag for all you social media people is Drink Superior. And that concludes another episode of the Minnesota Skinny. Thanks again to Melina Lamer of Superior Switchel. Thanks to Trish Gavin of Tulabee. And thank all of you. If you want more, you can find past episodes of the Minnesota Skinny on iTunes. I'll be back in a few weeks with a new show. But until then, make good decisions until Friday night. Then make bad decisions until Monday. And always remember what our good friend John Lennon told us. The time you enjoyed wasting was not wasted. Stay cool out there. <laughs>